Earth podcast with your host, Jake Weaver, engineered by Cedric Swan. Hey, everybody, we are back with another episode of Midnight on Earth. I'm your host, Jake Weaver, and we're here to bring you more knowledge, more light, and more love. Yet again, we have an incredible guest. I, I don't know which guest is better than the other. I think they're all equal in their own way. We have another incredible guest. Her name is Gates McKibben. It's going to be amazing to talk to her. She has a lot going on, including channeling three presidents that have passed and she's tapped into their knowledge. She has an amazing story. We're going to talk to her in just a second, but first I need you to do something for me. Go to bluecobracbd.com. That is bluecobracbd.com. And there you will find blue Cobra CBD oil the highest quality CBD oil on the planet, period. There's nothing else like it. I say it every week and I'll tell you again, there's nothing else like it. And that is because of the extraction method, how the CBD is extracted from the hemp flower and put into the oil. It is a proprietary method known as the HIT extraction method. It was developed by a man named Howard Hitt, and it contains no chemicals, no solvents, no gases, nothing unnatural was used to create this product. The CBD, that hemp, is 100% organic, organ-grown hemp. The product is 100% organic. It's small batch, family-owned business. Howard is 76 years old credible person. This product, it's amazing. It's unlike any other CBD products out there. And that is because of that extraction method. There's three styles. There is the maximum strength King Cobra, regular strength, little King Cobra, and wild thing CBD for pets. Because like I have said before, we want our pets to have the highest quality medicine out there, period. And we have a discount code. And that discount code is big H. It's B-I-G and the letter H. And that will get you free shipping on any order in the continental 48 United States. And there is a money back guarantee. So if you don't like the product, you get to keep the product, keep your money, you get your money back. And if you had to pay shipping, you get that back as well. A win-win situation. Try this out. There's nothing to lose at all. You could try it. If you don't like it, you get your money back. No one has ever used this guarantee, but it exists. And of course, Howard is available at his website, bluecobracbd.com. You can talk to him, ask him any questions you want to about his wonderful proprietary products. So everyone, please go check it out. There really isn't anything out there in this medicinal world that rivals this in the CBD world. There's nothing that can even come close. There's nothing else like it. 
bluecobracbd.com. That is bluecobracbd.com. And when you're done with that, follow me on Instagram at midnight underscore on underscore earth. That is the address. You can follow us there. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you go to get your podcast, there's a button. There's a little like follow or whatever it says. Click that button. It'll connect us and you'll know exactly what's going on. You'll get that notification instantly to your device or wherever you get it. And most importantly, please tell a friend, tell someone that you know that would love these type of podcasts that would love to hear about channeled information and just all of the esoteric and incredible topics that we talk about. You know those people, they're your friends, your coworkers, your family members. Tell those people. Bring them here. Midnightonearth.com. Okay, we're going to talk to Gates. She's right here with us, but I'm going to read her bio. So here we go. Gates McKibben is a metaphysician, leader, channeler, and author of the recent books, Epic Steps, Rekindling Democracy, Unity, and Peace, and Open Gates, which detail her contact with the spirits of three former presidents and the other being her life story. She resided for three decades in the San Francisco Bay Area, balancing a fulfilling career and a fascinating spiritual quest. She consulted with businesses on strategic and organizational renewal and pursued her own dynamic and sometimes surprising inner journey. Along the way, she discovered her ability to receive messages from the other side of the veil. What began as daily journal entries providing personal guidance ended up being published as a seven-volume series addressing topics ranging from the life of the soul to direct experience of the divine. And again in 2020, Gates released that book, Epic Steps, Rekindling Democracy, Unity, and Peace, featuring messages sent down that she channeled from Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, and Dwight Eisenhower. She feels their wisdom is invaluable during these turbulent times and an essential guide for us all. And in 2021, Gates published the Love, Hope, Give series, four novels about reincarnation and the enduring power of love across lifetimes. That sounds so cool. And, of course, her most recent book that we talked about, Open Gates, it was published in 2022, Open Gates, Recollections of a Mystic, and it's the story of her Ordinary, extraordinary life. I would say extraordinary. And she's here with us now. Gates, thank you so much for joining us. I'm just so pleased to be here. <laughs> thank you for the invitation. I love what you're doing. I love your energy. And I love what you're bringing uh, 
to the table with these books. They're incredible. I've read these books that you released and it's just mind blowing information, but it all started with something else that was pretty amazing and strange in its own way. An NDE. You had a near death experience that kind of triggered everything, your spiritual life. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. I, and I agree with you. It, everything, um, emanates from that experience that I had when I was 16. Yes. And um, I was not actually physically near death. So you can't say that my heart stopped and uh, some of the other the other ways that one might define near death. But I did have a near death experience, meaning that I, um, I well, I fell down a steep cliff and along the way, my consciousness rose above my physical body. I was watching my body careening down this hill, um, being very objective about it. I thought, oh, I must have had a concussion. And then, no, I think I died. And at that realization that I had died, my spirit began flying at an unfathomable speed toward the light. And I was moving, I was going home. I was, I was joyfully returning into the arms of divine love. And um, I had no thought about my family, anyone I was leaving behind. I just was so gratified and not even, I didn't even have a life that was difficult. It was a wonderful life, but I was gratified to have left it behind and be going home. Just at that moment, I was about to be received by the divine. My spirit snapped back into my physical body and at the bottom of, of this precipice. And I, my first thought was, Oh, darn, I didn't die after all. And then again, oh, darn, I didn't die. Of course, you can imagine what that experience would do to one's sense of what a lifetime is all about, what spirit is all about, and what home is. And from then on, I have been a seeker, a seeker in with, with the the idea that I've always felt there was something more for me to explore and understand beyond some of the traditional uh, parameters of dogma. Just kind of like mainstream thinking, just mainstream consciousness. You had an out-of-body experience, a near-death experience. You were going towards the light. Something happened with you spiritually there. And I just want to clarify for people that the accident happened because you fell down a hill. You were hiking with your father, if I remember correctly, and you just kind of fell. You stepped wrong and off the cliff you went. I fell. I And, and um, I believe that it all happened, that I built that experience into the blueprint of this lifetime. Definitely. At that age, at 16, when I had never thought about death, I, you know, it it wasn't it wasn't something that even had happened in my family. And um, and so there I was old enough to be aware of what I had experienced, 
but not so old that I would slam the door in the face of it. I, you know, I, I kept that experience in my heart and in my memory. I didn't tell anyone about it because it seemed so preposterous. I thought no one would believe me. So I kept it private, but it always was my own private reality. And um, it became the, you know, the talisman for my life. It became the benchmark around which I, um, I understood everything that was going on. Wow. It's really powerful because you were there. You experienced the divine light. You talk about the power of direct experience. You had it. I mean, that that's it. And then you come back into this dimension and then you also have to process the fact that you're a teenager and then you're like, wait, there's other dimensions. Wait, I was going towards God. And then I'm sure it was a lot of information at the time to really just digest all of that growth. It was. And I also... I also had to be careful because I was going to church, a Presbyterian church with my family every Sunday, and I would sit there squirming, listening to all of this talk about sin and, um, you know, and, and how Jesus died for our sins. And I absolutely believe Jesus was an extraordinary prophet and, yes. um, and you know, a, a messenger of of. of of impeccable divine wisdom, but some of the messages that have been, um, that are, that are being communicated. Um, I just couldn't, I, I, I couldn't accept. And so at that same time, I really began a deep inner questioning of, of what, um, of the organized religion in which my family was engaged. And, you know, and whether or not that had meaning for me, whether it fit. Um, and then over the decades, as I moved into adulthood and began to um, experience a level of freedom to do my own exploring, um, I, that's what I did. I, I got involved in the San Francisco Zen Center. I became interested in Siddha Yoga and um and, and underwent Shaktipat initiation twice and then was called to Satya Sai Baba's ashram in India. Yes, I remember um, you talked you know, about that in your I book. Mean, That's my book. All of that was happening because I was just so open to um, all sorts of ways that might enable me to access the divine. And it turned out that I actually didn't need any of those methodologies at all. That I began to understand it was really all about my own capacity to be love, my own capacity to hold, hold my own divinity in my heart as, as the, you know, the most important aspect of my existence. And so the last number of decades, I haven't participated in anything, <laughs> in, in anything organized. You know, I've just led my own sort of self-defined, self-described uh, life, which is honestly so simple. It's so simple. I live in the country. I, you know, I go out and I literally put my hand on a gorgeous big tree 
on my one acre every morning and I can feel that tree. I can feel the roots. I can feel our energy connecting all the way down through the roots and up through the trunk and through the top of the tree. These are the sorts of things that I do, just simple ways that I connect with nature and that I live from my heart. It's the most remarkable and privileged existence. Uh, and I'm grateful for it every moment of every day. So essentially all of that spiritual growth, everything that you learned led you back to a place of simplicity where you Absolutely. were just seeing the divine in everything. And then you were just appreciating those moments and the living beings that are around you on your property. Like you said, your trees, you're connecting with the divine through nature by simply putting your hand on a tree. And that's what it really all gets back to when you study these deep mystery teachings and other occult teachings and spiritual teachings, they all kind of coalesce on that same point that it's just, it's all about the now and experiencing the divine within yourself and everything else. And just being that. I have, a, I have some rain chimes hanging from the branch of one of my trees. And every day after my morning walk, I, I take a picture of water around and bless every everything. And then I ring the chimes. And about a year ago, I began to notice that the crystalline structure of water was beginning to shift every time I would ring those chimes. And um, I, I sensed, oh, because I've got a well and a holding tank. Oh, the water is changing. And then it began to to jump out of my faucets with this great joy, <laughs> with exuberance, the water, the water changed. It, I, I then thought, oh my gosh, I'm, you know, it's, this energy is extending all the way up into Crater Lake, and the water in Crater Lake is developing a, a more crystalline structure. All of this happened because. I just ring these beautiful little chimes every day, but I'm open to being totally in touch with nature and whatever gift she wants to receive and give back to us. Interesting. Yeah, it does have that ripple effect. Look, the little things, this gets back to working on yourself individually. You're saying just like ringing the bells have a ripple effect out into the world and clearly into that water changing it. So do the actions that we do, like the simple things that we do that develop ourselves have these ripple effects. That's why it's so important. We talk about this a lot, actually personal development. It's so important to mm -hmm. develop ourselves spiritually and just emotionally and just mentally as well, intellectually to have that balance in order to just be that. There is so much joy. <laughs> uh, I, and I, I tell these stories, not, I hope not out of ego, but just to give examples of, of when I say I lead a simple little life, you know, that's my simple little life. Um, and there is so much joy in it. Um, and it's not like I'm trying to manifest anything or make anything happen or control anything. It's just, I, well, I'm guided to do this. And so I do it. And then over time, I realize what's happening as a result. And so I think 
that that if I have a message, one that you know that really is is meaningful for me, is absolutely you know anyone who's listening to us and you know and is a seeker, be the seeker and allow yourself to be guided wherever you choose to explore. Um, because there is no one right path and there is no, you know, there are many messages that are on track, but also honor the fact that you don't have to keep on keeping on with your spiritual journey, that if it's not leading you back into your heart, if it's not leading you back into joy, into something that you can share abundantly and effortlessly with all that is, then maybe maybe a little bit of simplification or recalibration wouldn't be a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible advice. I mean, it is there is that keep it simple kind of formula that you could apply to anything. But okay, so as your life progressed, so you get this training, your dad graduates this dimension. He, he, he lived his life. God bless him. He graduated. He moved on to the higher dimensions and he started to contact you. Now, this was kind of your next big set of experiences since the near death experience. Is that correct? I mean, you had your trainings, you had your other experiences, but this was like your next kind of uh, bridge into the paranormal, you could say. Yes. And it also was um, a moment in my life when I was challenged to take a huge leap of faith. Uh, I had been working in the corporate world. I had been stressed out and became very sick with pneumonia that I couldn't, I couldn't get over. And finally, my doctor said, you can get your health back or you can keep your job, but you can't have both. Which will it be? I quit my job so that I could become healthy again and threw myself into into financial insecurity. I didn't have a, any idea what my future would be like. I didn't have my, my career had suddenly stopped. And at that precise moment, I started um, with the morning pages, Julia Cameron's morning pages. I started, I thought, well, I can at least keep a journal and um, maybe that I can write my way through this trauma. And the very first day that I opened my journal, my dad, who had died a number of years earlier and had been around energetically, I could feel his, whenever he was near me, I would burst into tears. He had, has very specific energy. He appeared and started sending me messages that I wrote in my journal. Um, over the course of the next year and a half, I, I wrote messages that got me through the difficulties I was experiencing and, um, re and helped me establish a new footing, both in terms of my professional career, but also my spirituality. I became very comfortable writing his messages. Um, it was clear nothing that I was writing was coming from my brain. Um, but one day he stopped me in my tracks. He said, you know, 
you've been thinking of these as private journals. And yes, they have been private. And yes, they've helped you. But I think you need to go public with them. I think they need to be published. They could help a lot of other people. My first reaction was absolutely not. <laughs> there is no way. I'm just getting, I was starting a business consulting practice. I'm just getting my consulting practice on track. You <laughs> want me to go to my corporate clients and, and, and maintain my credibility while I'm simultaneously publishing books of channeled material? And it was like, yeah, I think that's what you ought to do. Um, kicking and screaming and with a lot of self-doubt, I did just that. I ended up publishing seven volumes on different topics that, as it turned out, his messages, I was able to you know, pull them together in, in, uh, in, on, in different themes. I published those. Um, both to get the messages out into the world, but also um, because I needed to challenge my own capacity to believe that everything is in perfect divine order. Okay. And, and to do that, you've got to surrender and you've got to give up the need to control. You've got to surrender to be of service to the divine. And I wasn't used to that, really. I was so good at being willful. I can, I can really be successful with my willfulness. <laughs> I mean, it has served me well all my life. And now I'm being asked to jeopardize my career to make these messages public. Well, I did. And... Uh, it turned out that probably because I was living in the San Francisco Bay Area, um, publishing those books wasn't as controversial as I thought it would be. I didn't lose any clients over it. And I did, in the end, feel so gratified that I had, I had decided to share the messages because they do, the books do contain remarkable wisdom from the other side of the veil. Uh, nothing that I ever thought up. Um, people say to me, well, well, isn't, didn't you, you know, why do you say that if these aren't your words? Why are you saying they're not your thoughts? I can tell you right now, I'm not that wise. Uh, you know, none of that, nothing in those books came from my left brain or from my experience. Um, so, yeah, that was another step in the path uh, that that I followed in my life. And um, one that I'm I'm very grateful to have had the opportunity to pursue, including the opportunity to face all the challenges that um that arose in the process. Well, you had to believe in yourself. First, you had to honor the experience you were having with your father and then also honor the information that was coming through. Because like you said, it's clearly coming from a, another dimension. It's high frequency information. You're just like a circuit, a conduit for it. And there's so many other people like this, like that do this type of channeling. So it's 
at this point to me, it feels natural and normal. It's, 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 it's interesting how our corporate and our, and our three-dimensional paradigm works to where if you have this incredible, great job, you might lose it. If you have a spiritual component to your life, it's kind of interesting how we exist that way as humans. But as you said, you were in San Francisco, so it didn't affect you too much, thankfully. So these experiences, like you said, you put together in the lifelines library is what you called it. And your dad is in that dimension where that information exists. So he's just kind of like your interface point, really. So your dad is that, I guess. It's hard for us to describe as humans what happens when you cross over, when you graduate into those dimensions. But somehow in his selfness, he's still your dad, that, that, that energy still exists. He's connected more to that infinite information. Yes. And it's, it's such a love-based connection, I must say, <laughs> because, because he, um, he, when I was living in San Francisco, you know, he would turn the light on in my living room. The name of my first book is The Light in the Living Room, because he would turn the light on. And I would go stand by the light and then I would feel his love pouring through me and burst into tears and then get whatever message he had for me. Now he turns the light on um, on the side of my garage, which is awfully difficult for me even to turn on. <laughs> so he's still around, like he's, he's still a part of your life. And, and even though these books, I believe they were written in 1999, is that correct? The late 90s. Yeah, they okay. I wrote them in the mid to late 90s and published them but right before. Since then, he's still around, like he's still a part of your life. He's he's the rapport is still there. The communication. He does the most amazing things. The other day I, I was getting a, a checkup um, in, and the parking lot was full and I was sitting there waiting for valet parking and wondering what to do. And my eye looked over at a Cadillac, a great big Cadillac SUV, the license plate was capital letters, M-K-B-N, McKibben, <laughs> M-K-B-N. And at that moment, I heard a click and some guy was, you know, had clicked, unlocked his car next to that one, got in, pulled out. And I pulled into the parking space next to MKBN. Oh, that's Those hilarious. things happen all the time. I mean, who has a, a license plate MKBN? But there it was. Okay. So let me ask you this as like a spiritual metaphysical person, like how does that work? Like is our consciousnesses like working together behind reality outside of time to influence how matter shows up and have it have a personal relation? Because like I said, tons of people talk about this. I've had hundreds and hundreds of experiences like that. I know so many people have, and some people would just say it's a synchronicity, but it's more than that. It becomes a communication and maybe synchronicity is a form of communication, but as the synchronicities start to stack up and they get so blatant like that, like, what is that? Like, what's the component of that? What, what would you describe that as? Well, I say to him, you know, I'm always going, that's in, that's amazing. You're incredible. And then he goes, no, if you're living in timelessness and spacelessness, you know, it's, it's just, that's our reality. 
Okay. That, you know, it, you know, that, that's the reality. You know, once we decouple from what we perceive to be the limitations of the material world, any of this, it, it's just like breathing, you know, it, it's just, it, so, um, I, I'm grateful for each of those because they're fun and they also are, you know, manifestations of his love on the earth plane yes. and very affirming. Um, but I, and I still, I still have that sense of, oh my gosh, how did you do that? <laughs> you know? <laughs> but- it's just the mystery. It's outside of time and space, and it's a personal experience. And that's something uh, that we, again, talk about on this show is that the divine, the completeness, if you can say that in a human sense, the completeness of the divine is with you at every second, with every thought, your, wherever you go in your brain. It's there with you. It knows what you want, it, it, your goals. Like That's how infinite the divine is that it can show up like that for every living being absolutely true i love i love what how you just said that i that that's actually all we need to know yeah that's all we need to know (laughs) okay so then you're open to channeling now so you're you're talking to your father some other people start to talk to you right when did that start happening 2000 the summer of 2001 okay um, i was in my condo and um it i got this message pick up a a pad of paper and a pen and i did and and then it was this is Thomas Jefferson. And I thought, oh, no, you know, I'm making this up. No, this is Thomas Jefferson. I have messages to dictate. And I I was really intimidated by that because I was very comfortable with dad, but Thomas Jefferson. So, um, but I thought, okay, I'll see what I can do. It took a little bit I had to just get over my fear, took a little bit uh, uh, to transcend that. But pretty soon we connected well and I wrote his messages um, in the, the course of a few weeks when I was done. Um, and I, I did trust that they were from him. Um, it, I, I'm not a student of history. And so I hadn't had any thoughts around any you know conscious thoughts around anything that he was sending down and then abraham lincoln appeared and said he had messages those the experience of bringing those down was very different because he had such a difficult presidency and yeah. and he he's such a heart he lives from his heart so the messages it's like i was writing them but my heart was aching while i was writing them um and I, when I finished his messages, it was September 9th, 2001. And Eisenhower popped in immediately. It was it was a Saturday night. And he said, okay, I'm ready. And I said, I'm not, I'm exhausted. Um, I need a good night's sleep. He said, okay, I'm ready in the morning. Uh, so the next morning I started writing his messages. He was so clear organized, precise, easy to work with. 
Um, and then I had client work on September 11th, 2001. I don't have a TV. I don't listen to the radio. I had no idea what had happened. Went to do my client work and was told, don't you know what occurred in, in New York? And I said, no. And it was, well, the World Trade Center was attacked. Oh, my God. So I took the bus back home. I was walking down the hallway in my building and Eisenhower said, now you see why I insisted on getting started right away. And I completed his messages at midnight the day of September 11th, 2001. And his messages were, of course, all about the military industrial complex and what has what that has wrought on a planetary basis. And um, so, yeah, I get I just can hardly breathe when I talk about it because it was such a profound experience for me. Well, I think it's interesting that uh, Dwight Eisenhower came in at the end because the spirit of uh, that being probably knew what was coming or definitely knew what was coming and saw an opportunity, an open door to go in and uh, or an open gate. <laughs> sorry. Open gate. I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. I know it's even the title of your book. <laughs> Um, but saw that an opportunity and went in. But um, I do want to ask you this question, though, to back you up a little bit. Um, how internally would you describe being able to distinguish between each energy of each president? Like, what are the characteristics, the feelings? Like, how did you know? And, and when was the point where you were, like, feeling it, you were understanding it and kind of you know, resonating with the energy. And then you were fully able to distinguish that it was Thomas Jefferson or Abe Lincoln or Dwight Eisenhower. Like, how did you do that? That's, that's a good question. Uh, first of all, when I, when I'm guided to be a scribe for spirit, I unplug my left brain. So I, you know, I, I absolutely have the intention of, of, not having a rational thought, not editing what's coming through, not questioning anything. It's just like uh, it, the, you know, I have, I'm clairaudient. So I, you know, I hear or I know the words that are being sent through me. And I just, my, I just allow my hand to write them. It's like taking dictation. And as that happens, then it's interesting. And, and I love this question because, um, each of these spirits actually does have a different personality. Right. Thomas Jefferson, I mean, a visionary. I mean, he, I just kept feeling like he was floating so far above me. That, you know, I was hoping I didn't lose the connection because he's just so there, you know, in the higher frequencies, his capacity to, recognize the extraordinary divinity that we all embody. And when he and the founding fathers um, developed the parameters for the, you know, for the Constitution, it was all based on an affirmation of 
our individual divinity and then defining how can we come together as a collective in a way that supports each individual's growth toward, you know, as a human being and as as the divine and also creates a context for the collective to thrive in that context of divinity. And so, you know, he, his energy, I mean, if you can imagine someone channeling those messages, it's just like it was from out there. And I I felt that I had to just really reach to be able to connect with him, but it was possible. And we did it. Um, Lincoln, when Lincoln came in, it's just like he came right into my heart, (laughs) right there. And so that process, you know, was, I just felt it was all being dictated through my heart. And I, you know, the words just flowed through me, but they flowed through, you know, through, through that, um, you know, that channel. And Eisenhower, I, oh gosh, what a marvelous spirit. So, so clear and direct and not demanding at all, but precise, organized, knew exactly what he wanted to say and how he wanted to say it. It was the easiest thing in the world for me. Wow. It was actually, I have to say, as easy as, you know, working with dad and taking, you know, a dic- his dictation. You know, it was as easy as it was, as it always was with dad. Um, those two are a lot alike, actually. And if I may say this, yes, Dad, Dad worked with him um, in World War II. Really? Yeah, yeah. So, so was this like top secret stuff that it is was like, okay. yeah, in England preparing for D Day? Wow. So, so anyway, so there's not, like an energetic bridge. It is there. Just not. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that I, you know, I was very comfortable working with Eisenhower's energy. And I also, I mean, I love what each of them had to say. And, um, you know, and I love that Eisenhower, and he did say when I was walking down the hallway after I got back home on September 11th, he was saying, you know, I knew this was going to happen. Now you understand why I, why I was so insistent on on getting, you know, on getting to work with you, um, you know, and, and so he knew, um, but there, so the three of them, um, a remarkable, a remarkable triumvirate of voices, um, with their own individual commentary about democracy, Jefferson's, which is, this is what we were trying to create, Lincoln's, well, yes, but there was <laughs> there was some unfinished business. It was called slavery. It did not get addressed. And I inherited the issue. Right. I do remember that being a part of his story is that his it fell on him to repair the uh, foundational issue of slavery. But I, I do want to back you up a little bit. So Eight weeks. This happened over eight weeks. These three presidents gave you this information at different times, but they all kind of had the same theme. They were all about these 
American concepts about rebuilding America, it seemed like. Yes, they they were. The the theme really was this is when I was president, this is what I was trying to do. You know, this is what we this is what I wanted to create. And and then now, you know, looking at seeing how things are, you know, these are my comments about where the country is at the moment. You know, Lincoln said, we really haven't, we really haven't transcended the bondage inherent in slavery because racism still exists and intolerance still exists. Yes, it's true. I mean, that was the start of it, but we have not evolved past that. We haven't even truly united as one human family. We, we still see each other as these different categories. I don't know. Ancestries. It seems like our primary function is to define people in various ways. I feel like truly the spiritual way is to define someone as a light being and just seeing that first. And then the other things come second or third or, you know, wherever they show up. I agree. You know, when we when we see someone from our heart, we see that person's divinity. Yes. And, you know, it 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 can really be as simple as when we were all wearing masks. You know, I would make sure that when I was at the grocery store, I made eye contact with the person, you know, checking, checking out my groceries and. The moment I would make eye contact and I would smile, I would smile with my eyes and I could feel that person smiling back and it would go straight to my heart. And it's like, okay, that is at not, you know, we are meeting from our place of shared divinity. We're meeting in that place of shared divinity, which is love and respect. And in that moment, we are experiencing the two of us, our pure divinity. And those are things that can happen every day. And that is actually the, you know, the most important priority we can have. I think that's where we're going as humans, as we do evolve. I mean, I know things like we were saying you know, still haven't fully evolved past what was going on in Abraham Lincoln's time, but eventually it will. I mean, it, we will evolve upward, you know, to a higher frequency existence and that will be part of it. We'll be seeing each other naturally. It'll be a habit. It will be ingrained in our subconscious to see each other as light beings. The programming we've received generationally for so long, thousands of years is to just see each other as some segment, whether it's even regionally or racially or however that shows up, we, we, we still haven't got there yet, but we will get there. I agree. <laughs> that we still haven't transcended as uh, Abraham Lincoln said, the us versus them paradigm. Yeah. And he also, um, his, his focus was on preserving the union because he felt deeply that what Thomas Jefferson and the founding fathers created was so precious that 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 maintaining the union keeping the united states from splitting into two was an imperative 
And um, and he did. We the union did survive, but it survived in a kind of imperiled, compromised way, you know. And then those compromises still exist. And he was compassionate, like you talked about in your book, how he wanted to give money to the southern states after the Civil War ended to help them. While other uh, government officials were saying, no, we shouldn't do that. Forget them. They just tried to kill us. Why would we give them money? And he had the compassion. He saw the Civil War as a natural outgrowth of two very different cultures that had grown out of um, the, you know, the original founding of this country, like two different branches of a family tree. Um, the northern culture, the northern economy was more industrial and focused on larger cities. And the southern economy was agrarian and focused on um, on slavery, based yeah. on slavery, basically. And the two, you know, the two were absolutely incom incompatible. And by the, the mid 1800s, it was clear they were incompatible. But he never saw the South as the enemy of the North. He simply saw them as two different um, parts of a family that were in disagreement. So how can we, he, he knew that the war had to be won, but then once it was won, how do we bring these family members back into the fold in a way that they can lead um, abundant lives, you know, with us? Essentially, his perspective was once the war was over, they were Americans again, instantly. Yes, exactly. Okay. Wow. But he was assassinated, and unfortunately, <laughs> that wasn't. That didn't happen. That didn't carry over to wow. Oh my God. Okay. So tell me though, Thomas Jefferson, he was a Freemason, the constitution. Do you feel like it's a magical document? What is Thomas Jefferson's involvement in that creates? I think that it is um, a document that emanates a very high frequency. Uh, I think that it is, you know, it is divinely inspired for sure. And I, I think that there is an alchemy that um, that is possible with this document. And the alchemy is, can we can we align our choices and our lives with the um, the divinity that the founding fathers saw in each of us? Can we live individually and collectively in a way that honors that honors that divinity that they that that they saw as the foundation for the self-government they defined? It's not just about self-government. It's about how do we come together from our highest capacity to to reach our own individual fullest potential and the potential of all of us together. And, um, you know, that's what self-government should be all about. That's should be the focus of it. That's how, how we can honor it. The, um, the alchemy then is um, 
if we can live according to those higher frequencies and principles, then we transmute some of the lower consciousness that can come up in society in the form of, of intolerance and hatred and, you know, and judging and all of that, we can transmute that into, into goodwill and generosity in the context of the collective. And that then is the alchemy. Um, I don't think that we really are doing a very good job, honestly, of, of honoring the wisdom and the vision of the founding fathers. The, the equality, uh, treating everyone as one, as completely equal, has not shown up fully yet. We're, we're not seeing that yet in America. The idea is there. The template is there. The spirit of America is there, you could say, but it's not fully showing up. It has evolved, though. We, we will say we have come a long way, you could say, in the last 50 or 60 years in the terms of civil rights and things like that. But we're not 100% there yet. Jefferson, in, um, in Epic Steps, Jefferson makes a really interesting point about how the fundamental tension in a democracy is the tension between freedom and equality. He says, freedom run rampant gives the individual too much opportunity for power over others. And equality, if it's taken to an extreme, stifles individual initiative. So the two are in constant tension. And that is really one of the, the fundamental dynamics of a healthy democracy. That, you know, that freedom is allowed to exist in the context of equality and neither one overpowers the other. You know, it's it's a beautiful concept. Like you said, we're not there yet. But the American idea, this this wonderful idea that we're all this community, that no matter where we come from, these different backgrounds, wherever we show up from the old world, we're in the new world. And, and there you're an American and we're all in love and respect each other. There There is something very high frequency about that. That is what the founding fathers originally intended. Would you say that's accurate? Absolutely true. Okay. Yes. And you see what they were doing was uh, they wanted to create something significantly different from the monarchy, yes. you know, which was, which was based on, on, you know, the, the, the power, wealth, and control of one family or actually a handful of families related to the monarchy. And um, so the whole notion, you know, the taxation without representation, one of the things they were, that they were originally objecting to, you're taxing us, but we have no representation in terms of how we're being governed. So how can you tax us? That's wrong. Um, and so they wanted to create something <clears throat> that was a very different form of how to how to create a society. How do how do you create a society that is not a monarchy? That's the opposite of a monarchy. 
that really is rooted in individual responsibility for um, for self-government and for the effective health and functioning of the collective. Yes, this really was the first time in Earth's history, at least that we know, that a nation was formed without a dictatorship and without a monarchy that was truly self-governed for the people by the people. That was the idea. And I, uh, I, I love that, that the presidents sent down these messages when they did, and that the moment came when I realized that they needed to be shared with the world. And I'm grateful that I was able to do that because um, the, the three of them together, I think, enable us to take a look at who we are in this democracy. And are we being as responsible as, as we could be? Um, Jefferson says, you know, freedoms come with, with concomitant responsibilities. Definitely. It's not just that we want all of these freedoms and all this liberty, and then we don't, we don't need to, um, need to give back or be concerned about being involved in any of it. And so I think each of us has an opportunity to ask ourselves, how involved am I? And is, do I, is there, can I have more of a voice? Do I want to take action? Is there some issue or area in which I can take action? Can I volunteer? Is there something I can do to make our community stronger? Whatever we can do to participate um, is, is always beneficial to a democracy. I would say, uh, at the very least, even just vote, please vote. <laughs> Some people, millions of people don't even vote. And that blows my mind. It's one of the greatest sacred gifts we have as Americans to make a choice for ourselves. I agree. So Dwight Eisenhower, what are the, what are some of the things that he said specifically that we could talk about? He had a very interesting perspective, which was, before World War II, the United States was 19th in the world in terms of its military capacity. Interesting. 19th. After so world during World War II, when we got involved, as everyone knows, there was a massive um, escalation of military capability. And the Department of Defense grew exponentially, as did corporate America supporting the military. When World War II was over, neither the military nor corporate contractors, military contractors, wanted to give up the power and massive financial infusions they had gotten during World War II. So what had to happen? Well, we needed an enemy Ugh. because if we have an enemy, then, of course, we have to keep escalating. And so there was this this um, ethic that was established in the 1950s of mutually assured destruction between <laughs> the United States and <laughs> Russia. Isn't that wonderful yes. as humans, this strange planet that this is happening? But go yeah. ahead. I'm sorry 
mutually assured destruction. So if they're, if they're developing these armaments, then we have to develop armaments that are even better than those. And then oh we develop those and then they have to. And you can see it's a self-reinforcing cycle that kept the Department of Defense uh, you know, loaded with money and they still are being having extraordinary amounts of money thrown at them. And defense contractors, massive profitability. Um, Dwight Eisenhower warned us about that at the end of his presidency, and um, nothing was done about it. I think it was too late at that point. I think that the, once the money, the energy behind that money was spiraling and turning, there was no way to stop the momentum of that because if you think about money as like just energy, it was this steamrolling, spiraling, never-ending source of energy that just kind of perpetuated itself. And I think it's so interesting that in the American military, at least, we have things like expired bombs. Like after a certain amount of time, this $23 billion bomb or whatever expires and then they have to like decommission it. So the money, they're just creating ways to spend money. It's, it's awful. Well, he says at the end of his, his message that we have no option, but to pursue world peace. Yes, there, there is no alternative but that. And he he says, it, if we don't do it, it's not a possibility. It's a given that there will be something disastrous happening in the future. So we have to proceed, pursue world peace based on total disarmament. That is a high frequency existence. If we're truly going to evolve into another octave, into this higher octave as humans, this different bandwidth of existence, we're not going to be stop stockpiling weapons just in case one part of humanity decides to attack. Them. No, we're living together as one. That's the true united earth. That's it's interesting, but it gets money to people. It it, it created jobs for people all of those people activate some sort of survival mechanism, some sort of manifestation ability to co-create that, that reality where the military conflicts is existing. It's all very strange. It is. It's also very real. And so the other thing Eisenhower says is we can decommission a bomb with our prayers that we can we have the ability to to shift the trajectory that we are on if we choose to make that an imperative of our lives and you know that sounds really preposterous but if enough of us living in the high frequencies refuse to acknowledge the, you know, the incredibly destructive power of all of these mechanisms that have been built and, you know, and choose to, with our, with our divine intention, decommission them, we can do it. I absolutely agree because I think that as you develop yourself spiritually and we can get into the dynamics of metaphysics and the 
how that all is constructed. But I think that once you are activated, you become like this core reality builder where at the end of the day, there's a layer where it is just your reality. It's just you and God and everything else is an illusion, but that's just one layer in the three dimensional layer. It's another layer where we reside in mostly it's different, but as you get a hold of these abilities, you become that core reality builder. So if you have that frequency, we can decommission those bombs. We can decommission the hearts of people across the globe that are hardened, that are war driven. We can do that. We can actually do that. We can raise the frequency of reality itself by changing our personal frequency. Because like I said, you become a more powerful person. You're interacting with that co-creative experience in a more dynamic, a more powerful way. Mm-hmm. I love it. I, I love how you, you take our conversation and then summarize it so beautifully. <laughs> well done, Jake. <laughs> well, I love talking with you and that happens with the best people. I have to have a really good flow with people for the magic to happen. That's the magic of these podcasts. That's why we have listeners in 145 countries that come every week, thousands of listeners from around the world that come every week because of that magic that happens when two similar frequency people match up and they connect. And then we talk about divine things. I'm not a religious person, but there's even a, 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 a somewhere in the Bible. It talks about when two people gather in the divine presence, the divine presence shows up. It's like that in these type of podcasts, it's two people talking about these incredible things. And then that, that energy shows up that that magic happens. Plus with modern technology, these cameras, Zoom, the incredible audio, the fast internet, it, it really feels like you're right next to me. Well, I feel that <laughs> exactly. And you have the ability to hold a very high frequency. So I am able to step into that frequency, which is so much fun. Thanks. I noticed you <laughs> highlighted fun. We talk about that again on this podcast is that the divine experience can be fun and funny. And that's something that people should understand because as they get into these high frequency concepts, these understandings, it gets a little intimidating at times, but you have to understand that the entirety of the divine, it's fun and funny. There's humor there. So it's okay to step into these very uh, energetically intimidating situations, sometimes deep meditations or deep psychedelic experiences. Joyful. Absolutely. Joyful. <laughs> it's a great way to live. Well, I love talking with you. So tell me, we're going to talk a little bit more. We, we've been talking for a while, but there's a few things I want to talk to you about. How important in your opinion, or from your perspective, I should say, is direct experience of the divine. How important is that to a person's spiritual growth to their understanding uh, as a human being? It's absolutely essential. We don't need to go through any intermediaries because we are divine. And so, so the, the whole idea, um, the, the, my seventh book in the Lifeline series is called Forging Faith, Direct Experience of the Divine. And it really is about embracing our own 
capacity to be divine and experience ourselves receiving the guidance and the benevolent wisdom from the you know the higher frequencies that can that can help us along our path and know that we are being guided that we're being constantly blessed um that experience of receiving it and i don't have good words to describe it but there is an inner knowing an inner knowing oh yes i just had a thought or I just had an epiphany, or a quiet, a quiet revelation. Oh, yes. Now I understand. Now I know what to do. And those experiences are direct experiences of divine guidance. The more of that that we have, the more we trust our own divinity, that we're aware of it, and that we... Um, use that as our benchmark rather than constantly trying to figure out how we can control situations to get the outcome that we want, which is necessarily limited and compromised because we don't have the capacity when we're trying to control the outcome really to imagine how extraordinary an outcome could be. <laughs> we limit the possible with our own desire to control. But when we open up to divine guidance, then the limitations fall away. And we step onto a path that is full of love and benevolence. It's probably the most foundational thing that you can have happen to you as a spiritual person is that direct experience. And then when you tune into that, but this is what people talk about with angelic experiences. I mean, that is a direct experience. If they're interacting with these multidimensional beings that can show up that way as well. Have you had any angelic experiences? No, um, I think my role in in this lifetime is to be a scribe for spirit. And so I've developed my own capacity to live in the higher frequencies and align with the divine so that I can um, I can bring down the messages from from those frequencies in the purest way possible. Um, and so I, I'm not I'm not saying that it won't happen that I experience angelic presences, but um, but I haven't had that specific experience. I will say, though, Jake, that um, the last five years I was living in California, I had a meditation group with three other women and we met in my living room every Sunday night for five years. And I would grab a hand-carved crystal door jay uh, from Tibet, and we we would chat like regular people. Then you know we'd sit down in the living room. I'd grab the door jay. We'd close our eyes, and I would start channeling verbally out loud guidance from spirit. And we would be guided through the center star in Orion's belt wow. into the higher frequencies where we would remain for probably half hour, 45 minutes. Each of us would be so 
far out there that we could, if there were an emergency, we, our bodies, we couldn't move our bodies. Um, but we always came back safely and then we would share our experiences. Um, and often when we were out, we would receive messages from divines, from, from different spirits. Um, you could call them angelic messages, I suppose. We have recordings of all of those sessions. Oh my! And God. I haven't ever gone. I haven't gone over the recordings, but um, so I guess maybe in that regard, I can say I've had experience with with angelic beings. Well, if there's spirits coming through, it's hard to say what an angel is. There's so many different definitions. I can't even really pinpoint it. I just think of it as a higher frequency vibrational being that could show up as a spirit as well. But you have been in contact with those beings. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. For five, every Sunday night for five years. So one thing I, I wanted to bring up in regards to the presidents that I forgot to mention is that all three of those presidents, or at least Abraham Lincoln was about to be before he was assassinated, uh, are Freemasons or were Freemasons. What are your thoughts on the Freemasons mystery school and how it applied to the presidencies of each of those presidents during that time? Well, you know, they they absolutely tap into the Egyptian mystery school and the Egyptian mystery school was really all about um, uh, about fully embracing our divine capacity as we are living in human embodiment. You know, that that was what the structure of the pyramids were all about. The you know, starting with the you know, the grounding in the absolute you know, the, 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 the one third dimensional structure that is the most perfectly grounded is the square. And so the base of the pyramid is a square. And then as you go up the sides of the pyramid to the apex, the vibrational frequency rises until you get to the point that actually there is an aspect of the apex that doesn't even exist in third dimensional reality. It's of such a high frequency. So the Freemasons were had their own version of that kind of mystery school that enabled them to tap into the wisdom and the higher frequencies um, that were, you know, that that were all taught and part of the, the Egyptian mystery schools. Wow. So I so I think that you know that they were absolutely it's mind blowing. All of that. Yes, they were. It's not random that they all came in together at that moment in U.S. history. Right. It's it's very uh, divinely guided. The American story is divinely guided. Is America the template for a united earth? Like when we evolve as humans and we come together together, under love and we truly respect each other as humans and we finally get to that high frequency existence where we choose to unite is this experiment is what america accomplished kind of the template the self-governance is that the template for a united planet i have two answers for to that question the first one is um yes and there is a whole lot of fine tuning that needs to be done <laughs> based on 
on no doubt. You know, where we are currently. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but my, my second answer is that I think there really are two constitutions. One okay. is the one that we that we see and that we read. And the other one is in a high is in a, a, a another frequency that embodies really? all of the divine intention and wisdom and vision that really underscores and that um, that informs, informs the Constitution. And I think it is the one that's in the higher frequency that can bring us together as a planet. Wow, that's incredible. So you think that was part of this magical document that they created in the, the astral dimension, this higher frequency version of the constitution. That's incredible. Oh yes, for sure. For <laughs> sure. Because that's where these people were at, these framers of the constitution, they were all very high frequency beings in a very potentially, I guess from our perspective, archaic time, but I guess it was normal for them. It was definitely harder than it is now. Yeah, they were living. They they were living in that that frequency. Uh, they were both in human embodiment and also tapping into that frequency beyond the apex of the pyramid, and uh, beyond the apex of the pyramid is where the other version of the constitution resides. That's incredible. It, it feels like a magical document. It feels like a very powerful, just in itself, that the intention of these people, the energy, the psychic energy put into this itself is powerful. And then there's this multi-dimensional, extra-dimensional version. It's all very mind-blowing. It's all very mind-blowing and very, it's just very telling of how strange our planet is. You know, we have these systems that we create in the energy and, and how reality manifests around our consciousness. It's, it's all very strange. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was about to bring up, you know, a quick note about the United States's Pluto return. Oh, yes, yes. I've heard about this. Another guest did bring this up. Yes. Tell me about this again. It's uh, Pluto takes about 247 years to orbit the sun. And so uh, human beings don't have a Pluto return in their astrological chart. We don't live that long. But the United States, starting on February 22nd, to 2022 was the first exact moment of the U.S.'s Pluto return, meaning that Pluto was exactly where it was on July 4th, 1776 at 510 p.m. Oh, wow. And so Pluto is, so we are now experiencing the, our Pluto return. It will will have this year and next year and a little bit into 2024. The opportunity with our Pluto return is to review what the founding fathers intended and ask ourselves, are we there? And if we're not, what needs to be realigned? If we want to move toward closer toward the vision that they had for our democracy, and if we don't want that vision, what 
would we rather have? What would we rather see? That's what's going on now. And the United States is going to be forced to do a lot of soul searching. It's already occurring. Yes. But we're going to we're going to have to do soul searching. If we don't, we're missing an opportunity to really take what the founding fathers were tried to create with their grand experiment, where we have gotten off track. We, we're going to, if we don't do something in the next two years to, to pull ourselves back into alignment with their vision, we're missing the fundamental opportunity. I, I think we will. I really think I'm an optimist. I'm an eternal optimist. I'm a Libra. So I really feel like we can move into that. I don't want to abandon the American experiment. There's so much good that came out of it. There's so much opportunity, the science, the innovation. There's so much that came out of the freedom that was there. I don't want to abandon it. I just think it needs a course correction, a major course correction. And if we can do that, if we can open our hearts to each other, if we can raise our frequency as Americans, we can establish that American national community that our founding fathers originally intended. I really think it's possible. I, I don't really think another system is, is as enlightened as this one. I agree. I totally agree. And I am as optimistic as you are. <laughs> I, you know, I refuse to go down the, that rabbit hole of cynicism. I just won't go there. Right. I, Good. I don't go there. Nope. Oh, thank you for that. Because you got to hold that high frequency if we want to manifest that. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> well, as an intuitive, where do you see America in 300 to 500 years? Some people say that United Earth uh, that's coming will take maybe even a thousand years. Do you see America persevering personally, just from your own perspective? Um, I don't think it will in three to 500 years look at all like, uh, like it does now, because I think that geopolitical boundaries between countries will vanish um, I, I think that, I mean, it's absurd that we carve up Mother Nature into, you know, and, and, and establish all these <laughs> lines between, you know, what supposedly differentiates people from on one side or the other. So I think all of those will vanish. I think that we absolutely can and will come together as a global community. And I think that there will be uh, another reality that will be born and will emerge along the way, which will be the planet in an impeccably high divine frequency. I think that there's a possibility that there will be two planetary realities. You know, I have heard this, that it's a timeline split. I've heard this from other guests that right now that there is this strange timeline split where if you're a high frequency person, you're trying, you're trying spiritually, you know, you just keep trying. <laughs> Nobody's perfect. But as long as you're trying, you're there. The high frequency experience, but the people that are in the low frequency of understanding, you know, they're racist, they're negative or wherever they're at that, that binds them in that low frequency. 
they're going to that low frequency timeline where the, as the high frequency people are going to that high frequency timeline. Do you agree with that? Well, I, um, I do to some extent, but what I see in three to 500 years is that the high frequency will be pervasive, but it will be, you know, it will be a global community in a relatively, you know, good, really good place as a community. And also then another manifestation of planet Earth in a very high frequency that will be, you know, that will be aligned with pure divinity. Wow. Yeah. That's coming. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're an optimist like me. I love giving people hope. That's what we do on this podcast. I don't really like doom and gloom. It seems like if the divine, even whatever it is, we know it's infinite love. If it's made out of love, it seems like the only place it can go to is love. So if we just adjust ourselves, if we calibrate ourselves to love each other and we really get there in nature and our planet and everything and live in a, in a really, uh, conscious way, then we can manifest that. We have that power. We can create any world that we want. I'm into that. <laughs> well, we've had such an incredible conversation. There's so much that we've talked about. I do want to tell people uh, where to find you. So you can go to her website, lovehopegive.com that has all of her information. And she has books. Look, if you want to hear the entire story, we touched on this. We want you to check out the book, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, Dwight Eisenhower. They're talking to Gates in this book. And the messages that they have are incredible. I learned a lot from it. There's, you feel the energy of the presidents as you're reading it. It's, it's, it's really incredible. It's, it's hardly feels like channeled information. It's just so powerful. So check out that book, Epic Steps, Rekindling Democracy, Unity and Peace. And then her most recent book, which is her life story, which is a great book. I highly recommend it. It was fun reading so many various steps in the journey and then she awakens and so much happens it's called open gates recollections of a mystic and some of that seven book series that we talked about that lifelines library some of it's on amazon still a lot of it's kindle books it's out there so you know check those books out and i don't want to forget that she has four novels the love hope give series they're fiction but they contain so much great information and before we go, Gates, is there anything uh, you'd like to leave our audience with? Is there anything you'd like to send out there to the world? I'd like to express my gratitude to you for what you're making available from the heart to so many people around the world. And I also want to offer my love and reassurance that we're all on track doing our very best and we are blessed we are blessed beyond measure and beyond anything we're even aware of so so embrace that breathe it in and be joyful and i wish everyone well and send send my heartfelt blessings to all <laughs> and also a great big hug <laughs> well thank you for being here gates i deeply appreciate it 
Thank you. I've loved this conversation. Oh man. Oh, it's been incredible. Well, we'll have you back on people. We'll have her back on and Gates, please hold through the outro music. Everyone, we will see you next week. Midnight on earth.